You're busy living so bad. Busy living so bad. Busy living sober. All right, you guys, this is going to be so fun. Everybody that's listening, because this is new. Julie Toby reached out to me. She's been, how, how long have you been sober now? Are you? I've been in recovery for, I'm almost 11 months now. That's what I thought. I was going to say 10, but you're 11 months. So yep. she's got 11 months. She's been on one podcast. How many podcasts have you been on so far? I've been on one and I've got a couple more that I'm going on. So then she did this thing that all people are nervous of is reaching out. And she reached out to me. And I, of course, said, yes, come come on the show. I want to hear your story because it's all about sharing relatability and how we don't want anybody to feel like they're alone, right? Like you've got this. We don't want to make anybody feel like they're alone. So I want to start at the beginning, which is the fact that you live in a small town in southern Utah. And what's the population of the town that you live in? Um, I think it's around 2,500. 2,500. Yeah, it's pretty small. So do you know everyone? <laughs> oh, you know everybody and everybody knows you and everybody knows your business. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's like whisper down the lane there, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes people know stuff about me before I know it. So <laughs> isn't that fun. so? And that must be hard on the psyche, especially when we're drinking too much, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, very much so. Yes, especially in in my small town, um, there's a predominant religion here. And so it's pretty like drinking in general, it's pretty frowned upon. And so, yeah, it was, it was a lot to, to hide, I guess. That religion is Mormon, correct? LDS. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, and are you, are you, are you, were you, I am, yeah, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am. Okay, okay mm-hmm. that's awesome. So that but that must have been like a huge thing to go against your religion in the very beginning to drink, wasn't it? It was huge. Very, very very dis um approved of for sure. Yep. Well, it probably felt a lot of shame from it. Yeah, I would say a lot of um my problem with addiction and, and alcohol was based off of shame. I had a lot of shame, which took me into hiding and hiding who I was. And yes, very much so. Very much came from a shame base. And I and I, I acknowledge that the further and the more shame that I had, the worse my addiction got. Of course, because it's like we hate ourselves. So it's like, we're just mm-hmm. going to, it's like hitting yourself in the head or something. It's like putting this thing in our body because we can't think of anything else to yep. do. So will you tell us what, so when was your first drink? Um, when I, I knew that alcoholism ran in my family. It actually ran on both sides. And so I was, I was always really super hyper aware of that. Um, growing up, I got into athletics and really just excelled what there and went on to play college basketball. And I remember a time that I did drink in college and I knew at that point in time that that was something that would be really bad for me because of how tolerant I was to it. And so I actually didn't touch it again until later in life. I was probably... 36. Wow. 
that is later in life. So mm-hmm. when you were growing up, because I don't know, of course, it's terrible because there's all these, you know, stereotypes that we think because of what we see on TV, which isn't always real. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, my gosh, Mormon, they all polygamists and all this other stuff that they throw out there that is not always true. I don't think I don't think yeah. everybody has a million sister wives. I, think. <laughs> I mean, it's just like not every alcoholic is a street urchin that lives under the freeway. No, no. Right. So there's no. all this stereotype. But when you so but growing up, was it said like you're not supposed to drink? And how did you find out that your grandparents or whatever generation it was that your alcoholism ran in your family? How did you start talking about that? It was did your mom bring it up at the dinner table? Like, how did you know about that? Um, actually, that that's the thing is it wasn't talked about at all, really at all. I, I knew that my my mom's dad had died of a massive heart attack and he was an alcoholic and a heavy smoker. He died when he was 42 from that. And wow, so, so that was just, it wasn't really talked about. Um, my dad also was kind of a closet drinker as well. I knew about it. I think what we forget is kids see and hear things that we think they don't. And I, I think I was just aware of some things and knew it wasn't right and knew that that's not what they wanted us to do, but it wasn't really talked about at all other than within the religion, you know? Right. Like it's against the law, right? It's like one of your 10 commandments or whatever. So Mm -hmm. it's so interesting because for me personally, I don't know if you know this about me, but both of my grandmothers were alcoholic and Mm -hmm. nobody wanted my, I mean, my parents would call them an alcoholic. Like, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. having a horrible thing, right? Terrible, terrible, Mm -hmm. terrible scarlet letter, but -hmm. there was no solution, right? There was no. Yeah. 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 That's very, I I think that a lot of times these feelings and emotions that we push down, um, we use alcohol as our solution instead of talking about things and being open and, and having these, these hard discussions with our kids or our family. Um, a lot of times it's just pushed down and not talked about. It is, but now things are changing and it's like, and it's so, you look so pretty right now. You've got the sun that's coming in on your face (laughs) and it's so, um, I believe that we're living in this time right now that the light is coming through. You know, we've lived through so much darkness mm-hmm. and being able to talk about our, like really what's going on with us often being authentic about it. Yeah. It's so yeah. freeing. It's super freeing. I think, um, I don't know if I can share an experience, but um, I would love it. That's what I want you to do. So people can be relatable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I went into residential treatment and it was, it was a secret to everybody. Nobody knew that I had the problem. And then all of a sudden I was just like taken away and I was put into residential treatment. And I remember having so much shame and um, feeling just, horrible about things you know when I was away at home I knew everything that was being said at home I mean I didn't know for fact what was being said but I could imagine right and um I just uh remember when I was getting ready to leave residential I was like I told my husband like take me to the grocery store let's start getting me out in public because either my story owns me or I own my story and so it was just like, I'm going to just start taking this by the, the reins and letting people know that we don't have to hide. We are human 
and we can make mistakes, but those mistakes can make like a beautiful life for us if we're able to to allow our mess, you know, make our message or ma- our mess her message. It's just, it's so, I am so relatable to that because I didn't go away to treatment, but when I did get sober, I, I was, I had so much shame that I coined, I literally patented with the U.S. Patent Department, um, sober, not ashamed. But I want to go back to, so you're 36 years old, you've gone to college and what happened that made you decide to drink? What, what, what were the circumstances? Take us back. Um, well, just... Like I told you, I went and I played college basketball, Division One basketball, and I loved I loved athletics. I loved sports in general, being active. And so after college, I started running marathons all the time, full marathons and marathon relays, and you know CrossFit and lots of anything that I could be active in. And um, this one, I we just finished a marathon, and it was we were lifting weights, and then the next day I just woke up and went to pick something up, and I blew my back out. And so (laughs) they went in and they did some imaging on it and it was very severe and I ended up having surgery and the surgery wasn't successful. And they just started me on this pain management of opioids. And it just seemed like the more opioids they gave me, the more I needed. And it just kept increasing, increasing, increasing. And one thing just led to the other where it was like, I need relief. I need to be able to get some sleep. I, I need you know, and I started drinking with the opioids. And then for a time I got off of the opioids and alcohol was my main source of pain relief for me. And I I really do believe that I have like an allergy to alcohol because for some reason alcohol just gave me energy and I kind of felt invincible, really. It's crazy. (laughs) You're also, you also have, besides running these marathons, you have a husband and you have three mm-hmm. children. Yes. Yep. And, I, and at the time I was working full time as a radiology technician and I would be working 24 hour shifts. So I was always on the go. I didn't have time to stop and alcohol and drugs just made it possible where I didn't have that physical pain. But I also noticed like that shame of what I was doing. It made me drink more or abuse, you know, the substances more. Cause I just couldn't live with myself. It wasn't aligning with my core beliefs. Right. And, but it's so hard because again, they're so addictive. It's not, mm-hmm. and you think it's you, but it's like, they're like, you know, very dark. And I hate to use the word the devil, but it's like, they're so, mm-hmm. so, so dark that they take you under. And you're so blessed that you didn't go and pick up something oh. on the street because yeah. I don't know if they have these things in Beaver, but like, you know, in our cities, I mean, we're losing 300 people a day over fentanyl. Fentanyl. You know? mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. And I'm sure, yeah, those are everywhere. Um, for me, I'm grateful I had my kids because I, I knew that that would never be anything that I would do was go to the street. And I think truly that's probably why I went to alcohol because it's legal and you can get it whenever, you know, and but I am grateful that that never led to that aspect of a drug addiction for me because I've seen so many people that it, that is just a hard, hard thing to kick. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. And it's killing, you know, as I mentioned, it's 300 people. It's That's like a plane crashing yeah. in America every single solitary mm-hmm. day with our young people on there. So you're drinking, you're, you're like, as I say, juggling life, 
-hmm. you know, everything's up in the air and you're holding it together with duct tape. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I felt like I was doing a really good job of it. <laughs> Nobody knew around me, you know, at least I didn't think they did. And it was, it came off as very much as a shock. It, no, like nobody believed it. And yeah, I felt like I was doing a pretty good job of juggling everything, but I was exhausted in all aspects. Well, you're constantly chasing and hiding, right? Cause mm -hmm. what was your husband? Did he have any idea? Um, he knew I drank a little, but he did not know the extent at all. And mostly he was, it was mostly out of love on his end. Like he knew that I was tired and I was physically, I played on his emotions for sure when it came to that, because, you know, he felt bad for me because of my physical pain. And, but um, he also was traveling quite a bit with work. And so also when you're drunk most of the day that people get used to you being like that, they wouldn't, they didn't know any different, you know? What was your drink of choice and where did you keep it? Uh, vodka with a splash of cranberry and uh, always, you know, in the closet or somewhere <laughs> hidden for sure. <laughs> I actually have a, a pretty um, good story about that. If you want to hear it. I do. I do. Please <laughs> do. Please. I'm dying to hear it. Um, so in the middle of treatment, um, I'm going through all these stages of treatment, you know, where we're healing trauma and we're, and getting down into the, the layers, you know, uh, like a, an onion of why we do the things that we do. Like, why is, why is drinking the solution for me? Why was that when I'm under stress or there's these issues, why is that, why am I always wanting to turn to that solution? And <clears throat> we, in the middle of treatment, I, we decided to sell our house and it was on Labor Day. It was just this Labor Day weekend. Um, I thought, finally, I'll go into my back storage where I store everything. And when I was in treatment, my I told my husband, you need to raid the house. Make sure there isn't anything when I come out. And he thought he had done a pretty good job. And so anyways, on this labor day, which I felt was a safe day because all the liquor stores would be closed, right? In case all these feelings and emotions came up, I wouldn't be able to get any liquor. And um, so I'm going through the storage and I was mind blown at the amount of alcohol vodka that I found hidden in Christmas decorations, in just the Halloween decorations. I had it stored everywhere. And I I had called my therapist and I was like, um, this is what I found. And she says, well, how do you feel? What are you feeling? And I said, honestly, I'm sitting here and I just feel really bad for the person that had to do this. And I think she's like, she said something to the fact is, did you hear what you just said? You had empathy for yourself, which was probably the first time I had probably ever had that instead of shame. And I just realized once I started loving myself, sobriety started getting easier and easier and easier. It was just, it was just bizarre how and where I was hiding alcohol. Well, and just, so, 
so many women do that, you know, so oh, yeah. many women. So I, again, I want to go back. I love, you were an adrenaline junkie for one, oh, right? Yeah. yeah total mm-hmm. adrenaline junkie. So you went and you started this drinking and you're drinking and you're juggling the, and you've got this duct tape holding everything together and your husband mm-hmm. has no idea. And what do you say to him one day? Hello. Uh, just so you know, I don't know what your husband's first name is, but, um, uh, I, I I've got a, uh, like little secrets to tell you. Uh, I've been, <laughs> I've been really wasted every single solitary day for the past six months and you had no clue. And now I need to get treatment. How did that happen? How did that happen? Actually, um, I think for a while I had been manifesting that, that I would get caught by somebody because I just, I didn't, in the middle of the night, I was Googling if I was an alcoholic. I was Googling if I was a drug guy. I was like, there's no possible way that I could be this because how am I doing this, this, and this, you know? I have no idea. And so I was convinced, quite convinced that I was not an alcoholic. And granted, this had been going on for probably six or seven or eight years. And so I'd been juggling it for a long time. And I was starting to manifest like, would somebody catch me? And I was at work and my administrator came down and said, hey, we got to ask you a few questions. And they pulled me in and and they were asking me some questions. And I, and I said to him, well, if you have any like concerns, why don't you just draw my blood? And let's just clear my name, you know? And they said, oh no, there's no need to. We don't need to do that. And I walked down the hall and I was like, I can't believe that they wouldn't draw my blood. Just catch me in the act, right? And about 20 minutes later, they came back and they said, you know, since you're willing, do you mind if we draw your blood? And I said, we're walking down the hall. I was walking down the hall with my administrator. I was like, you know, it's going to be positive. And he about fell to the floor. He was he was super like blown away by it my husband was actually out of town working and he said okay we'll just go home for the rest of the day they drew my blood and go home for the rest of the day and then I had called a friend to come down that she lived out of town and I kind of told her she had no idea that I was an alcoholic she came down and sat with me that day and I had another friend that had a friend or her sister was in recovery had been in long-term recovery for like 25 years and I texted her that night, my friend with her sister that was in this long-term recovery, I texted her and I said, hey, I need your sister's number. I need help. And she was mind blown. And so they did like an intervention and took me to detox. They called, my friends called my husband. He was mind blown. I had people go and tell my parents, like it just was, it was kind of um, shattering for everybody in, in that time. Isn't it crazy when you think back, Julie, to the fact that you were running around with this secret Mm -hmm. for eight years, your mom Mm -hmm. didn't know, your kids Mm -hmm. didn't smell it on you, your husband didn't, and obviously you had relations, you have a daughter that you, I mean, you, I mean, you have all this, you know, a family and Mm -hmm. what, how do you think you were able to do that? What do you, how was that, that that happened? Well, it was a lot of high maintenance. I'll tell you that much. What would you do? I was taking a lot of showers. I'll tell you that much. I was taking three or four showers a day. I was constantly brushing my teeth. I always had lotion. Like it was a very high maintenance lifestyle. And even at that, I, I, in my profession could give IVs and would give IVs. And that was something I could do. I would, I would give my own IVs to myself fluid wise to give myself fluids. I was constant. I'm an ultrasound tech. So I was ultrasounding my liver, my kidneys. I was always trying to be one step ahead of my health so that 
it was just, it was so high maintenance, Elizabeth. It was, I, when I look back on it, I literally do not know how I was doing that. I have no idea. It was pure survival mode. It shows you how cunning, baffling, and powerful this disease is. Mm -hmm. That you will go to all those lengths to brush Mm -hmm. your teeth, put on the lotion, take the shower four times a day, go to work and put an IV in your arm. And knowing in your head what you're doing is Mm -hmm. not okay. Mm -hmm. In your heart, it's not okay. But they're not meeting at the same time. So what happened at work? Had you gotten in trouble at work? Were you not doing your job properly? Or why did they question you? No, in fact, nobody had really questioned me at all. Um, there was just one coworker that I worked with that was just like, she just seems off, like just was genuinely worried for me. She thought, I don't know, she thought there was some marital things going on or something outside of that. It wasn't ever, I I never did anything within my profession that would question um, that I was intoxicated or or anything like that. And thankfully, thankfully for that. So it was genuinely out of worry on there from one individual. And I'm grateful for that person now. I really am so grateful because I I was, I just wanted help, but I didn't know how to ask for it. Well, you prayed and got it. Yeah, God answers our prayers. God answers our prayers, doesn't he? It's like we throw it out there. We're like, nobody's listening. No one's listening. They're like, oh, wait, yes, he is. (laughs) So you went to 28-day treatment. Is that correct? It it was 30 days. And then I actually went to outpatient treatment for eight and a half months. And the the outpatient treatment was um, an hour and 10 minutes away from Beaver. And so I would drive there four days a week and do my outpatient treatment. So you just stopped that a couple months ago. I, yeah, I think six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. It's so Mm -hmm. uh, this is, this has been your first, that was your first Thanksgiving that happened. Mm -hmm. Yes. And now we're, I, I mean, I, I love my favorite part of, um, people's stories is when they finally see the light and they get, it's like my, it's like when all the joy comes, I could cry over it because it's just, you know what it's like. So it just, it feels like a brand new now. So was, it's your family. How's your husband been? How have your kids been from the day one? Because it's a big change for everybody. It is. It's a huge change. My husband, my family um, have been amazing, amazing. And I, I truly believe like having support has been a game changer for me and building that tribe of people in, you know, that are like us, that are alcoholics. I think finding people that you're able to connect with and also having the support from your family has been a game changer for me, for sure. Gosh. And do your kids ask you about it? Your husband, did he go to Al-Anon or how has that been? Um, he didn't go to Al-Anon, but he's been super supportive the whole the whole time. And we're just in our family's lifestyle now. It's we talk about things like if you have a question, let's talk about it. And in fact, when I got out of treatment, people were asking, did you tell your kids? And I was like, well, why wouldn't I tell my kids? They just thought I went on vacation for 30 days. <laughs> no. So I for me, it was like this is an opportunity to break that cycle where we can be open and we can have hard discussions about hard topics. And they're they're getting more used to to the talk of where I'm at and what, you know, 
when it comes to, to that. And did you go back to the hospital? No, I did not. Tell us about no. that. Um, when I was in treatment, when I went in for the first eight days, you don't have any contact with outside sources at all. And so they weren't going to fire me. I was just going to have a recommendation. I was supposed to, after they drew my blood, I was going to go back on that Monday and they were going to do like a recommendation. And I, that was on a Thursday on Friday is when I called my friends and I was like, I'm going to wean myself off of alcohol. This was my thoughts so that I could be sober for Monday. No, 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 no. Mm -mm. no. Don't ever In do fact, that. No. And I knew the repercussions. If I cold Turkey, I knew what could happen. I knew I could seizure. I knew, I knew all the health repercussions. And so, um, it was, it was a medical emergency at that point where I had made that choice that I needed to go to detox and I needed help. And because I didn't tell the hospital what was happening, they ended up firing me, which it is what it is. Um, and yeah, I just, I just believe that my path um, is aligning to where I'll be able to work in recovery. That's where I'm looking to, to go is work within recovery and I'm probably going to go back to school again. So. I love that because when I got, so, you know, when I got so a billion years ago, I feel like, you know, they were like, don't make any big changes in your first year. And here mm -hmm. you've had some of the biggest changes people ever go through in their lives. It's mm -hmm. like, for one, you sold your house and you moved. That's a mm -hmm. big, big stressor, mm -hmm. right? Huge, 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 huge. Mm -hmm. And then you lost your job. So how did you manage going through? What tools did you use that helped you to stay sober? Hmm. Well, I, my therapist is amazing. Um, her name's Shelly Webb. She works out of, uh, she's a clinical director at Painted Desert Recovery down in New Harmony in Southern Utah. Um, I work with her and I still work with her. And using those um, tools that I've learned, a lot of them are just, um, let me think. A lot of them is just basically recognizing how I'm feeling, like what's coming up for me, because I have a lot of anxiety. And so when I'm able to like associate what's coming up for me, how am I feeling, what's these feelings and emotions, then I can channel it to oh, I'm wanting to use alcohol as a solution because I don't want to feel this. I think my whole life I was just taught to not feel anything. And just learning how to feel is probably one of my biggest um, skills that I use. And sometimes we just have to feel hard things, you know? Yeah. It's not always easy, is it? Life is not mm -hmm. easy. Whoever said no. it was lied. But when you can be authentic with who you are and with your husband, like with, is, is this new for him too, being totally authentic with you and telling you how he's feeling? Because men don't always like to tell us their feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's a little more shocked with me telling him how I feel because he's like, whoa, I didn't know you had feelings. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm either way fun or just way angry. Like it's very static or very crazy for a second, you know? So it's been good. It's been really good to just be able to know who I am, figure out who I am.
And then that's been an experience for sure. Oh, it's totally, it's mm-hmm. like crazy. I mean, my favorite color I thought was green. Well, it's really orange. So it's right? like I had, because forever I was what everybody else wanted me to be, not who Elizabeth yeah. was, right? You know, being yeah. that chameleon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that people pleaser, right? We could yes. be anything for anyone. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So being Mormon and mm-hmm. not having, the, so when you have holidays, do you even, is there, do your parents have alcohol in their house? Do you have oh, no, in your house? Oh, no, no. No, there was never alcohol anywhere. Mm -mm. So right now, that's that's not a big deal. But I think the real the the hard thing for me is I always just want to hide. Right. And so and that almost becomes a game for me. And so just being able to talk to my husband, be like, you know, I feel like I want to drink and just being open so he knows where I'm standing. This is how I'm feeling. And then we can just discuss it. Like, why are you feeling that way? Why do you want to do this? And usually it's just like, there's going to be a lot of people there. There's going to be a lot of this, you know? And then once I'm able to talk about it, it seems like it helps the the problem quite a bit. And do you have, besides a therapist, do you do a 12-step program at all? I am working a 12-step, yep. I um, have a sponsor. I love AA. I think that, I mean, I was raised in the Mormon religion and um, thought I knew who God was. And then I just, you know, I believe that I met God in AA for sure, because I was able to gain an understanding of who and what my higher power looks like. And that's just been the most amazing thing ever to actually know that there is a power greater than me. And I know that myself, because I tried for years, for years to do it on my own. And I know 100% that that's just not something that's possible with me. Like I needed a power greater than me to help me overcome alcoholism. Let's take a quick break. Do as I say, not as I do. Are we that generation? Or are we doing and working on ourselves just as much as we work on the technology that we crave? Artificial intelligence and the concerns, I would say, were pretty valid. But the interesting thing about that is is it valid because that's how we see ourselves? Are we are we looking at them but then really seeing us? For sure. I feel the same exact way. And it is so interesting in that the way that everything happens, right? The steps mm-hmm. that come into play and that feeling mm-hmm. that you want to go hide because these feelings are so big and it's always fear for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to yes. get what I want or I'm not going to be able to keep what I have. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was, I was talking with um, on my other podcast about fear and that <clears throat> growing up and all through my adult, you know, life, um, my greatest fear has been the dark. And I think literally and figuratively, I am afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the unknown because I'm a, I'm a control freak. I like to know 10 steps ahead of where I'm going or what I'm doing. And this is just a whole different lifestyle for me where I'm like, I don't know what the future holds for me, but I'm okay because I know that wherever I'm supposed to go, God, when I allow God's will, then I just know things are going to work out. And that's just a new, a new phenomenon for me for sure. But, um, Growing up, like I said, I had this major fear of the dark. And once I realized what my higher power looked like, 
um, it was amazing. It was amazing. My husband was gone working and I lived in, a, in, in the country where there was a crick bed road. And there's, so it's only this little road, hardly any traffic ever. And I typically would never take my dogs outside at night alone because I'm, I'm afraid. And I just had this feeling like, you know what? The dogs need to go out. They need to go for their walk. And so I went out and um, I looked down the road and I could see this, this vehicle coming. And um, it was coming really slow. And typically in the past, I would have been on the phone with my husband or the cops or someone saying, you know, this is suspicious, like what's going on? But I just kind of listened to my instincts and, and my instincts were telling me everything's fine. And so I, I thought, okay, I'll just sit here and wait for a minute while this vehicle goes by. Well, they were taking forever. And finally I was like, I'm going to walk the dogs, which I typically would have never have done that ever, ever. Cause I'm just so afraid of the dark. And, um, as I start walking the vehicle, this truck gets to my, to my house, they stop, they open the door and I'm thinking, what is going on here? I'm starting to freak out quite a bit, you know, and still I have this, this reassuring feeling that everything's okay. So I continue to walk and this truck then goes by me really slow and I turn around and I see the moon and the stars and I just had this overwhelming feeling of you're not alone. You've never been alone. Everything's all right. And I just started crying, which that's totally abnormal for me. And um, the next day I'm going I'm going back home and this creek bed road is not a road that I would typically take. I decide I had this feeling or impression to take the road. And so I'm going down this creek bed road and I see this vehicle and lo and behold, it's the same truck from the night before. I hadn't, I knew what the truck looked like, even though it was dark. I knew the license plate number because I'm super hyper aware of those things. And as I get close to this truck, the truck stops. This little old man gets out of the truck, picks up his dog that was running, puts him in the truck and then passes me. And it was like my higher power knew that I was still replaying that night before. He gave me that impression to go down that dirt road so that he could reassure me that everything was okay. And I was just, it was just amazing because the, the further along in my sobriety, the more I'm able to like recognize God's hand in things. And it's just amazing. It's amazing. It's, it's like the best. I, I love, I was actually talking to somebody this morning. I have a girl that helps me with some of my work stuff and she, and she's Christian as well. And I said to her, I'm like, if we don't have God, we have nothing. It's like the best gift I ever gave my kids was to, you know, as much as they didn't want to go to church and they scream and yell, I mean, now they mm -hmm. all go to church on their own mm -hmm. in, in their twenties. But, you know, I, I hear your story and like when you were running and such an athlete, you know, and the basketball mm -hmm. and all that, it was all such instantaneous gratification, right? You could win mm -hmm. a basket. Oh, we won. Oh yeah. We mm -hmm. go running for the race. We run. And there are so many people out there that are athletes that get to this place where they're like, they hurt themselves and drugs mm -hmm. are administered at the doctor's office or handed mm -hmm. out or whatever you get a prescription and then you get addicted. It just, and it takes over. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you are okay, is such an amazing gift. Mm -hmm. 
and that you're here and that you're here to have another day and you're here to have your first, how was your first Halloween and your first Thanksgiving? It was, it was awesome. Right. I was just thinking about it. Um, on Thanksgiving, it was like, I had new vision, you know, it was just, I could just sit and I could relax and I was able to be in the moment, which I honestly don't believe I've ever been able to do that. I, I think I've always just been a very anxious person. And now that I'm learning how to, you know, control my anxiety or not control it, but recognize it so that I know what to do with it. I'm actually able to be mindful. And that's to me, is just, it's amazing. And it's just like, I had new vision. It was beautiful. And I, I started thinking like, no wonder that, that we celebrate birthdays in AA, right? Cause yeah. I didn't really get that at first, but I was like, we are experiencing life new. Every new holiday, every day is just like rebirth for sure. It's, it's total rebirth. And every day is like a gift. Like you just, for so long, you know, I, I always have said and for my listeners that are you're hearing this on repeat because they hear it a lot, but you know, when I was drinking, I feel like I had this darkness inside of me. Like my mm -hmm. soul was like, a, you know, when you go into a mm -hmm. an old church and you have this stained glass window and it's filled with soot, you know, there's something beautiful mm -hmm. there, but it's, it hasn't been cleaned and nobody's really loved it. It's just been sitting up there. And then you take away the alcohol. It's like taking away the soot and everything's beautiful again. And you see birds and trees and leaves and grass and flowers and just there it's just like it's so amazing and then your children I mean I how old was your daughter when you got sober she was nine yeah my so my yeah. oldest was 10 when I got sober and it's mm -hmm. like your kids are like they have their mom back yeah yeah it's pretty amazing and I think for most of her life she probably didn't really know this version of me because she was so young when I had blown my back out and so yeah, it's, it's a gift for sure. Definitely a gift of sobriety, right? Start looking at things way differently. Everything is a gift. And so if somebody's out there and they're listening and they're like, I just, I, that, that you finally, you know, you were finally surrendered and mm -hmm. here you are. And it's scary sometimes still being mm -hmm. sober. Oh yeah. Very much so. I love how you said surrender. I think when I was doing my step work in step three, that was a really, really hard thing for me to learn how to surrender. It was very, very difficult because I was used to controlling everything. And when I learned how to surrender is when things started opening up for me. And I started, I think I was able to start to finally feel love. I think when we are deep in the alcoholism, I, for one, did not feel like I was lovable. I didn't think if I couldn't love myself, how could anybody else love me? And I think as I learned to surrender, I let the ability to see love in my life and allow people to love me right where I, right where I was at. It's pretty amazing. It's 
Beautiful. And that's step three that you just mentioned. I mean, that's like, for me, that is just like the hardest one. I just, mm. I, for me, I'm like, wait a minute. I, the control freak, I was a single mom with three kids and I'm like, wait a minute, you want me to give them to this thing? I can't really see or touch. And yeah. feel. I, I mean, I can feel it, but I can't really see it. And it's going to just pop yeah. down here. Make but letting go to that is just, uh -huh. you know, it's so, it's amazing when you get there and it's just such a journey, just letting go. I, it really is. And I think uh, it's important to remember we can do our part and that's where I've allowed surrendering. in. it's like, I've done my part at this point, I have to turn it over and whatever's supposed to be will be, but I know that I've done my part. And before in my addiction or just my whole life, it was like, I felt like I was the only one that I could rely on. And it's, it's pretty empowering to know that we can just hand that over and whatever's supposed to be will lead us to right where we're supposed to go. It's just amazing. And now that you're back in your community, you know, you're doing everything, you're going to church, you're involved in everything at school, the whisper down the lane in the 2,500 people that live in your, <laughs> how is that going? You know what? It's been really amazing. Um, I also know that people get super uncomfortable, right? <laughs> they don't know how to act. It's almost like they feel like you've died, you know, yeah. when somebody's died, you don't really know how to act around them. Um, but I just, I just say how it is, you know, I just own my, my addiction and I am finding there are so many people that need to hear it. I've yeah. had so many people reach out and say, you are so brave. Thank you. This is this, this is going on in our family. And it's giving a voice to people. I think where there is safety to discuss these hard things and it's, it's been, it's been amazing actually. Because it, do you even have meetings in your town? They do have AA meetings and I'm actually going to start. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Dharma recovery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start yeah. a Dharma recovery meeting in my small town. I think it will help like for anybody with any sort of addiction, um, maybe find a safe place where yeah. they can come. And it's not this, you know, stigmatism of AA because of course like you worry about going and who's going to see you there or so I, I just had this idea um that starting this Dharma recovery meeting could maybe allow people to just explore recovery in general in whatever aspect that looks like I but. love that I love that well, I, it has been such a pleasure hearing your story and letting people know that even someone that lives in a community that's totally judgmental and everything else, she went and she did this and she surrendered. She got a program. She has tools in her toolbox. And I don't mean a wrench and a hammer and... <laughs> <laughs> They're almost as useful though, right? Or more useful. <laughs> well, they totally are. And that, uh, that ability to be transparent and to be who you are and to see these things, it's, it does, it's for some people, it takes a lot of time, but it sounds like for you, like you're just aware, you're totally awake and noticing like when your higher power, like I like to call God is in your life. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, there it goes again. There it goes again. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love that not any, no longer do I have to feel like it's a coincidence. Like I just totally believe in divine intervention. 
it's, it's pretty amazing. Cause I think a lot of my life, I was just like, Oh, that's kind of coincidental. But yeah. now it's like, no, that was definitely divine intervention. It is. It's amazing. And when we're, when we're in our addiction, we can't see it. Right. Cause no. all we're thinking about is how I'm going to hide. How am I going to yep. do this? Da, 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 da. How am I going to take a shower? How am I going to, you mm -hmm. know, brush my teeth for the other mm -hmm. time? You're not thinking about coincidences or anything else. You're mm -hmm. just trying to get stuff done. I mean, there's a great book by John Delaney. You've got to go check out about an anxious life. It's really good. He just, oh, I'll have to, yeah. yeah, I want to check that out. Yeah. yeah. It's really good. It's really, he's coming on the podcast in January, but oh, it's awesome. just, yeah. So it's just that anxiety is such a big thing to, you know, mm -hmm. but to be able to get quiet hmm. and identify what that is that's making you anxious is like the key, isn't it? I think so. Like just sitting still. And having that time alone was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, where I actually had to gain that awareness, because I don't believe that you can have recovery without awareness. I used to think that I knew who I was, and I didn't know who I was at all. And I'm the more that I become aware of who I am and why I do the things I do, the easier my recovery is becoming. And it's just awareness just allows recovery. And I think that it's important that we take that time to really figure out who we are. And it's okay if we're totally different than what everybody else thinks yeah. we are, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we don't have to be what anybody else thinks we need to be, for sure. How's your mom been with your big change? Because this is a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, I think, um, well, she was pretty shocked by the whole thing. It's been, it's been really hard on her. I think that she um, internalized a lot of it where I don't feel like she needs to. I just believe as parents, we do the best that we can with what we're, where we're at, right? And um, I think she's getting where it's easier for her to deal with and the more open that I am. And hopefully she can be a voice to others, you know, other parents or people that, that need that for their loved ones or, you know, a support system or teach to help teach how to, to support um family members that are struggling with addiction. Well, cause I think it's so such a big deal when it's, it's been hidden so long and you're like, wait, what do you mean? I have, I am like totally aware of what's going on in my life and you, there's no way this was you. Like you're just, <laughs> yeah. there's no way you, uh, you were like my perfect child and now you're telling me. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, I think she wanted to blame everybody, but you know, <laughs> maybe even my husband. So, you know, it couldn't have been her. Someone had to make her do it. She was perfect, you know? Um, but no, I made my choices on my own. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, it, that has been a, a big, a, a big struggle for her, but I think that she's getting to a better place with that and understanding that we're just all here learning. We're learning, we're here learning and growing. And I don't know. I mean, I can just tell you that like to hear you and see you. And I, when I saw you yesterday, I was like, oh my God, you're adorable. You're so cute. <laughs> your family's beautiful. Cause of course I had to go look at you on all social media, even though I don't normally do that, but I did I do this <laughs> and um, I'm never a stalker, but I was, I went and I stopped. Well, we're best friends now. So now we're best friends. Exactly. <laughs> and I, and it's so when we have to be there for everybody else in this capacity, when we get clean and we get better and everybody's mm -hmm. like, okay, what happened? What did I do wrong? And you're like, you have to be this stoic person standing yeah. there like, mm -hmm. okay, bring it on. All the questions mm -hmm. are coming, everything uh -huh. and getting through that and not going, oh my God, this is too much. I'm going to run out and get a drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, sometimes it feels like that, right? Yeah. I, I, I know from my mind, like that, that number one thing is always that solution of alcohol. And it's, it's just weird how my brain does that, but it, it gives, just gives me an opportunity to challenge those, th- those thoughts. Like, why is that coming up for me? Why am I wanting to use that as a solution? But, but I, get I think why. That that's probably, yeah, I'm, I'm probably sure that I'll probably um, struggle with that maybe the rest of my life. No, to be honest, it goes away. It does. It totally goes oh, away. Good. Just good. say, God, take away that phenomenon of craving. I mean, that's, I, I, it was like, now I, I have 17 plus years later. I don't ever even think about it as the answer. It's, I mean, yes, sometimes are harder than others. And I've mm-hmm. gone through, you know, losing people. My mom died. I mean, mm-hmm. all these things that happen in life, I just can't pick up. Cause I couldn't imagine no. like, doing that to my kids. Cause it's just yeah. been, you know, they have a sober mom and mm-hmm. they can call me. And as your kids get older, I mean, your oldest is 16. So you don't have anybody in college yet, but when that happens mm-hmm. and they start doing their own thing, yeah. it's awesome to be the grown up That's like, don't drink. It's not good for you. And they, instead of looking at me going, you know, they never looked at me and said, well, you drink, they never could do that. It was like, Oh wait, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, monkey see monkey do. And Oh Yeah. Yep, you know, because sure. it's your 16 year old. Has he thought about it? Oh, um, I don't think so. I don't know. He's the, uh, I think for him, I think seeing me where I was ha- has been enough for him not to want to. I'm sure there'll be a time in his life that he'll probably wonder about it. But hopefully he can have an open discussion with me about it. Well, it sounds like you've opened that you've opened those doors and you said, you know what, bring me any question you have and I'm here Mm -hmm. for you no matter what. And Mm -hmm. I promise you that those thoughts of wanting to pick up the drink and go away again and disappear, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned earlier, are totally going to go away because life is just so good when you wake up in the morning and you can be proud of who you are. Yeah. It's just gaining that self-respect, right? And self-love when we're able to love ourselves. I feel like those thoughts do tend to ease for sure. Well, it has been such a pleasure meeting you and getting to know you. And you have to come back when you tell us what you're doing next. Cause I can't wait to hear it. And I um, will actually, we, I am going to be starting a podcast. I'm I am so going excited. To do that. Yeah. My therapist and um, one of the, the staff that I went to tr- that was in the treatment center where the three of us are going to start this podcast, hopefully in January. So I'll for sure let you know on that. Oh my gosh, you're going to have to. And the three of you can come on and tell me all about it. I'd love yes. it. Okay, I so will hit just, you up. Okay, yes. please hit me up. And I'm so happy you're doing this. I encourage yeah. you guys when she reached out. I was like, do it, do it, do it. There's, yeah. You know, we need more people out there speaking the truth and showing yeah. that this can be done. And you, there is yeah, life after booze. It's mm-hmm. been a pleasure. Sending you big. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank and you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everybody. And um, everybody who's listening, remember you are not alone. Subscribe to my channel, please. Reach out anytime. You are not alone. Please, please, please know that you've got this. You've got this. And until next time, keep getting busy living. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.